Hey, mother... Good Trash Genre Cast. Listen to me. You look like a... What? Radioactive tampon. It wasn't supposed to be like a banana with a yeast infection. How did I come to this? Not again. I played Richard III. Five curtain calls. There were five curtain calls. I was an actor once. Damn it, now look at me. Look at me! I can't go out there and I won't say that stupid line one more time. I got, I got shorts, every fucking color. I got designer t-shirts. Who cares about the goddamn dance chip? I do. I ordered your corsage. It's an orchid. It was like $12. If it means anything now, I am so sorry. It's just instinctive. It was my bad. I was never a very good practical joker. So do you have any regrets? Garfield, maybe. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we talk about the films you will never discuss in the course of a film studies course. This week's film is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, in which Theodore Roosevelt and William Shakespeare meet and travel through time and learn about life and love and get married at the end. But we'll talk more about that when we get into our spoiler section. Before that, we need to identify these disembodied voices who are speaking to you now. To my left, sir, if you would. Bowling averages are up. Mini golf scores are down. I am Arthur Gordon. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Across the table, if you would, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Dear listener, this is going to be a most triumphant podcast, and we are very excited to be with you all. My name is Dustin Sells, and I am so glad to be talking Bill and Ted's excellent adventure with you all. Now, to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show, and so there will be spoilerific spoilerages that we find out what Theodore Roosevelt's contribution to Midsummer's Night Dream really was. Uh, but we will avoid that for the time <laughs> being. A Midsummer's Night's peen. Oh, my goodness. There you go. Boom. Boom. Nailed it. Nailed it. We'll be right back. Prove it yourself. Here's a Q-tip. How can you prove your cue stick is straight and true? Well, that's easy. Willie Hoppy, world's three-cushion billiard champion, places his cue on the table and rolls it. A warped cue stick will wobble and bounce. A stick that's true will describe an even arc. And now watch a champion use it. Now, Willie Hoppy, how mild can a cigarette be? Well, I've been smoking camels for 20 years. I know they're mild and they really taste great. Yes, camels are so mild that in a test of hundreds of people who smoked only camels for 30 days, throat specialists making weekly examinations reported not one single case of throat irritation due to smoking camels. But prove for yourself how mild a cigarette can be. Test camels for 30 days in your T-zone. Let your taste and throat tell you about camels' flavor and mildness. And so we will uh, first begin with the synopsis of the film and then our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, and then we'll move into that spoiler territory. So you have been now forewarned. Voice the cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. Two seemingly dumb teens struggle to prepare a historical presentation with the help of a time machine. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon, although um, you sound to be uh, somewhere in the circuits of time as you gave that particular synopsis, but I like it very much. Uh, let's see what we think about this movie, our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. What do you say, Mr. Dalton Stewart? I mean, it's fine. It's a cute movie. Uh, it, you know, 
Keanu Reeves doing Keanu Reeves, Alex Winters doing one of the eight movies he's in. Um, it, it's a it's a perfectly fine movie. George Carlin's amazing in everything that he's ever done. Um, it's fine. It, it is a perfectly fine movie, and that's all I can say about. It. I, I'm really I don't understand how it got that big of a cult following. Um, it's like a family friendly stoner movie. That makes sense. I really mm-hmm. think the R-rated version of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure would probably be a lot more amusing, to be perfectly honest. I was surprised that it was that clean. I didn't. I thought it, it would be a lot. It's PG. Yeah. Yeah. It was surprising to me. Uh, they call each other the other F word, um, which I, they probably wouldn't be able to get away with these days. But, Correct. But other than that, it, it, it is a fairly mild film. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't really have much opinion on it. I, it's been a while since I've seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Um, but I am curious how it got the cult following because I mean I laughed I didn't laugh hard, um, and honestly it's it, it's a fairly disposable film. Uh, but I mean I'm glad we watched it. You know it, it is cute. It is a cult classic, uh, and it was fun to revisit it. There are some really fun moments in the movie. Um, Abe Lincoln saying "Party on, dudes" is the best thing ever. Absolutely, it is. That's great. I, really, the whole presentation that they do at the end is a lot of fun. Uh, the stuff in the mall is fun. Once they get all the historical figures back uh, to San Dimas, like all that stuff is pretty solid. Yeah, there's a really big lull after they pick up Socrates. Uh, picking up Socrates is hilarious. Uh, getting stuck in the time machine and going to one million BC—that's all kind of stupid. Uh, it's just I don't know. There's there's a lot of peaks and valleys in this film. I like it just fine. Yeah, I, I I'm glad I watched it again. I guess I don't. This will probably be the last time I watch it for about 15 years though. Well, there you go. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you think? Uh, in honor of Miss Alexandra Bohannon, um, I'm going to give my 10-word review of this movie. Fun, wacky, unbalanced. Time means nothing to these time travelers. Thank you very much. Um, what I would say about uh, Stoner Inception is this, is that uh, the uh, the time travel... It's a bong within a bong. Within a bong. Uh, whoa, you know what? Afterward, we'll leave the keys. We'll steal the keys from your dad, and then we'll leave them here. Like, behind this sign. It's hilarious. That's, yeah. I mean, like I said, th- that last third of the, like, when they get back to St. Damas, that's all really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a movie about potheads that they, w- without any pot. That's just strange. It's essentially Scooby-Doo in a lot of ways. That's Co- true. Correct. Okay, yeah. Scooby-Doo, I can see that. The Very cartoony. Travel, yeah. Boogaloo. Um, so there you go. Uh, I like it a lot. It's fun. It's my childhood. Uh, it met my laugh rule, and I laughed a lot, and therefore I like it. So that's what I have to say about that. Let's move on, though, and do some analysis, because that's what we're really here to do, dear listener. And so I begin with you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What analysis bring you? I want to talk a bit about time travel. Uh, time travel films are always very interesting to me. I think time travel is one of the most appealing theories around, especially in film or literature. I think it's just a very interesting thing and a very fun idea to be able to go back in time. I think it would just be a lot of fun. So anytime time travel is involved, I think it makes for an interesting story. Uh, So here we have two major tropes being subverted in the time travel genre and one working in sync uh, with the genre. Uh, When we discussed Moon, I kind of outlined major elements of time travel, uh, primarily cycles and doubles and altering the future, things of that nature. Here, Bill and Ted instantly adopt the cycle theory no problem. Time is on a continuous cycle, infinitely looping. Uh, We understand this because when Bill and Ted encounter Rufus, they immediately encounter themselves again, time traveling uh, from the past, right? Because it's the previous set of them time traveling, so it'd be them from the past or them from the future. We need a diagram. You need a Venn diagram for the. You need some sort of diagram for this movie. 
Uh, this leads to our, ma- our first major subversion. Uh, traditionally, in time travel literature, you are never supposed to interact with yourself. Uh, usually, this results in some sort of time rift or time paradox that the human mind can't comprehend, often resulting in various disastrous results. However, it would appear on the surface that Bill and Ted's interactions with themselves doesn't create any problems, but I'll come back to that. The other major subversion of trope that occurs in Bill and Ted is the fact that removing people from their timeline doesn't create any issues. Yeah, I mean, in theory, if they've snatched up Joan of Arc, Napoleon, Abraham Lincoln, that means we've gone the next 200 years without them existing. Yeah. Even for a day, there's going to be some... Ramifications, yeah. Yeah. Billy the Kid, Socrates never taught Aristotle and Plato, you know, and by extension Plato. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's it's madness. It's pure anarchy. Yeah. And the movie doesn't give a shit. I love it. Bill and Ted not only interfere uh, with the timeline, but they interact in different decades in a non-chronological fashion, uh, meaning that there's no possible way that this works out the story tells us that it does, unless... Uh, because of the title, we automatically think of this as Bill and Ted's story, and in many ways it is. Uh, but at the surface, this is actually a history of the year 1988, as told through the lens of Rufus and the year of 2688. Uh, Rufus is relating these events to us. When Rufus is receiving his mission, he is told that if the split occurs uh, between Bill and Ted, then the world they know will be different because Bill and Ted must form wild stallions. This dialogue thus infers that at least one other timeline exists, one without the stallions in it. At some point in time, one of two things occurred. The timeline split, and we have two alternates, uh, the one that we as humans and Earth currently live in and the one presented by the film of 2688. The other possibility is that the 2688 we see occurs in an alternate dimension and could conceivably present one of several that exist. Due to the leaders tampering with the timeline, we already know that there were issues at some point because Ted number two reminds Ted number one to wind his watch. This informs us that this is not the first time the time travel has happened. There are infinite numbers of possibilities, Bill and Ted failing, the time machine not being fixable, as they uh, do encounter the film when it does break down at one point and they have to fix it. And through each of these loops, an alternate universe could have been spawned. The major indicator of the 2688 timeline that we get, however, uh, the narrative that we're seeing, I think is birthed at the end of the movie. The 2688 timeline that we get is a final result of Rufus's actions, when Rufus not only goes back in time and interferes, but he drastically shifts the space-time continuum by bringing the princesses to the present to live. Now, all this is well and good, however, one issue remains. You know, they are in the band. They are in the band. It's important that he does that. So, yeah. There's no way to ultimately trace the initial spark, though, that led uh, to what could have been the first splitter rift. For 2688, something would have had to occur in 88. Uh, We have no idea what happened, which goes back to my earlier point that the timeline is on an infinite loop and that somehow all time periods exist at the same time on different planes, which means time travel is less linear and more four-dimensional as some have theorized. Essentially meaning that there are multiple timelines existing with each taking place at a different time. If you buy into this, it could explain phenomena such as reincarnation, deja vu, uh, soothsaying, prophesying, all of which could be experienced by personages who are somehow interconnected with the timelines. My final piece of this delves a bit more into the film's cultural commentary. Uh, I mentioned this kind of in text with the group, and I just kind of wanted to bring it to, to the foreground, maybe for discussion. This film is birthed out of the MTV era. Uh, Bill and Ted is a commentary on the youth culture coming out of the 80s. Uh, writer Chris, Chris Matheson is writing based out of the influence of another screenwriter. Uh, his father was a member of the greatest generation. Uh, Richard Matheson uh, wrote his sci-fi based out of the experience with war in the world. His son grew up experiencing his father's worldview, uh, the negative that, can men, that men can do in war and all those things. However, MTV ushered in a new era. 
It highlighted young people considered to be lazy, slackers, unmotivated, uh, youthful, arrogant. Uh, the greatest generation looked down on these kids, but these youth had potential. They had intelligence, but it looked different. This generation had inspiration and aspiration. Chris's writing puts a positive spin on these youth. All of the kids that make presentations at the end of the film do well. They present good knowledge. Bill and Ted show that when they need to, when properly motivated, uh, they too can learn and succeed. Ted's father may be a stand-in for Chris's own father. Uh, he viewed the world and his byproducts in a negative light. However, the youth of the 80s had goals and dreams. They had a positive outlook on the future. And I think Chris's work was a counter to the work of his father. Well, I mean, they lacked a great war, and they lacked you know, those sort of the things from the speech in Fight Club is, is part of what's, what's missing here for their worldview. And, you know, uh, unlike, say, an I Am Legend sort of movie, which would be Bill and Ted fighting vampires as the last human beings left on Earth. Oh, God. Give me that movie. <laughs> give it to me now. Um, it, you know, it, it is it is a sort of, well, you know, if you're just excellent to each other, why, why won't everything just turn out all right? You know, yeah. let, let's put yeah. all that sort of trauma aside and let's sort of move forward. And, and I, I think part of what the MTV generation does, and this is sort of the uh, 80s consumer culture and, uh, you know, Madonna material girl and th those sort of ideas. It, it, it's that idea that it's all going to be fine, that, that we're really, we lack that trauma. We lack sort of that nitty gritty and it's all going to be rosy. If, if these older folks would quit worrying about all this bad stuff that went down at one point. And so it suffers from sort of a, uh, a temporal amnesia, you know, which is interesting in a time travel film anyway. Yeah. Well, right there. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what analysis bring you? Uh, well, I don't really have much to bring. Uh, I just do want to kind of follow up on, you know, Dustin, what, what you pointed out about the MTV generation kind of living and let live. Um, these two dipshits somehow lead us to a utopian society with no poverty and no war and no sadness and just, you know, bowling and mini golf and uh, killer riffs. And there's something to be said for that, I think. Uh, there is something to be said for, for blissfulness, uh, blissful unawareness. There's something to be said for friendship. Um, these two dummies, through the power of their friendship and the power of music and hanging out, uh, managed to usher in a peaceful society. And I think that's kind of cool. Uh, it's a fun idea that this movie presents. And I know it, it's just kind of a lark. The, the joke being that these two, you know, uh, stoner metalheads managed to fix all of society's problem. Uh, problems by releasing an album is you know is a joke but there is also something kind of really kind of lovely to it this idea that through the social bonds that you create with another person uh you know binding together trying to get through the craziness of life together uh be it a you know a history report or uh you know the the death of a loved one i mean whatever the case may be uh, having people you care about around you makes everything a little bit easier. Uh, and, and I guess what the film's saying, other than making a joke, is that, yeah, if you've got good friends, you can do anything, even uh, lead us to a utopian society. And I think that's kind of cute. My point is, this really dumb movie with a really dumb premise does kind of put forward a kind of delightful uh, and moving and interesting idea, a thought-provoking idea. Uh, and that is... The smallest of us can make the biggest of difference uh, to crib from uh, the, the fellowship uh, of the ring a little bit. Um, and I think that's really, really lovely. I really do. There, there is something powerful about the idea that these two dipshits uh, saved the world from itself. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Oh, it's most excellent. It is, it is most triumphant in your analysis, sir. Well, be excellent to me, bro. All right. And uh, so what, what I want to say in terms of analysis, and I've been thinking about this a little bit lately as we've been going through the show, is... Uh, as uh, in any academic setting, an actual proper academic setting in which you're taking a course, you um, have what they call cumulative knowledge. 
Right, where you learn things and you know more things by the middle of the semester as you know more things by the end of the semester. And so you can sort of, you know, elevate the conversation a certain way because the, the people in the room know all the things that you're talking about. Does that make sense? This is a podcast. Yeah. And, and so people just drop in from time to time. And yeah. S- and so what I want to do is, is sort of back up some of the analysis I give a lot of times and sort of the things I talk about a lot of times and just say, hey, there's a thing goes on in film studies. There's a thing that goes on uh, in terms of film that uh, Bill and Ted is interacting with. And I just want to kind of point you to sort of those introductory things uh, regarding one of the uh, various uh, great faces of uh, history, which is Sigmund Freud. Oh, Freud. Freud, dude. Freud, dude. And uh, so uh, Freud is huge when it comes to film studies. He talks often. Uh, he was Col- used, colossal. Colossal. I mean, he's a, he's a massive importance. And now Sigmund Freud is uh, an Austrian slash German uh, psychoanalyst. He invented the term psychoanalysis uh, as a psychological method in which people just kind of talked out their problems. Uh, he began to realize that much of what's going on in neurosis in human beings has something to do with one's parents. Uh, there is throughout the film, and of course it's so on the nose that you know Ted has to go ahead, or Bill rather, has to go ahead and name it as an Oedipal complex. And uh, so the Oedipus complex, as uh, my, my co-hosts know, and some of my dear listeners I'm sure do know, it, it is the idea that you are a little in love with your mother. Um, uh, because, you know, she's the most important, most wonderful, most uh, need-providing woman in your life. And that there is this sort of strange jealousy uh, with the father, because not because so much it's sexual or whatever, because uh, sometimes Freud's read that way, but this idea that uh, because mom does these things and dad somehow in some strange way competes for mom's affections as you realize you're not the only person in the world and this um, brings in uh, Freud's follower um, follow-up theoretician Jacques Lacan who talked often about the mirror stage and your realization that you're not the only thing in the universe there is another and the first other that we realize is our mother and the the world does not start and stop at your command Donnie absolutely does not and so you know even Lacan would write about the uh M in parentheses, other. You know, the mother is our first other that we realize. And then mother loves us, though. Mother cares about us. Mother feeds all of our needs every time we cry uh, because we're hungry, we're fed. If we're dirty, we're changed. If, if we need to be held, we're held. Those sort of things. And then we realize there are other others, uh, including the father. And that's where um, Oedipus, which is a famous Greek play uh, by Sophocles, if I'm not mistaken. I'm like 90% sure you're right. And uh, Oedipus Rex being the full title. Correct, yes. Mm-hmm. It's good and, stuff. And Oedipus realizes he kills his father and ends up with his mother unbeknownst to himself. He was raised by you know others and uh, does not actually know who his real parents are. But So, like, there was this prophecy, right, that the king and queen would be usurped by their own son. So they were like, well, fuck that. We're going to get rid of him. And they told the servant to fuck off with him and get rid of him. And the, the servant was like, I'm not going to kill this baby. That's terrible. So he chained him to, like, a mountain and stuff. And then other people found him and, like, raised him. So, yeah, it's not as weird as it sounds. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, the whole gist of it is, you know, you're, 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 pushing, you're picking at a scab that should be left alone. And, and you're competing for affections, and which can lead to a real problem. You know, I know I've known a lot of people who are in desperate need of a motherectomy in their lives, um, <laughs> who are, are a little too close to mom, who, you know, again, is sort of, you know, they, they're, they're enmeshed in this Oedipal complex. The, the Misty, Missy slash mom character uh, throughout is, is, is precisely that. And, of course, Freud's general obsession with sexuality and libido 
and desire. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is an excellent scene, and I use the word excellent with all intentionality here, uh, with a corn dog and Freud. As yeah, he, it's so funny. As he speaks. That is hilarious. The, yeah. He holds it erect, and the, it the, ceases to be erect the, eventually. The easy joke would have been to point it out, but it is really just a very subtle visual gag. And the other really important Freudian concept that's working in this film is is an idea called sublimation, which is the idea that we have desires that are unfulfilled. We have things that we want to do that we can't actually get done, and it frustrates us. And, and again, in terms of sexuality, but in terms of other things as well. And that frustration, if we turn it towards art, we can produce something most excellent, and uh, the, which is basically the thesis of uh, uh, civilization as discontents by Sigmund Freud. And so the idea, and this is probably the most important singular text uh, with, with, with Freudian studies uh, to apply to film studies or literature studies, uh, his, his, his uh, interpretation of dreams is also very important, especially in terms of surrealism, but probably less so with uh, good old Bill and Ted here. But this idea that we sublimate our desires and then we, we have, because we can't get everything we want all the time, we're not in the bushes having sex all the time, getting food all the time, uh, we, we, we have all this sort of desire and all this sort of just churning uh, libido working inside of us that we have to channel that energy somewhere else and that's how civilization gets built otherwise we would still be cavemen in the bushes right um, doing what cavemen do in the bushes with cave women and that would be it right and, and so that's that's the basic I mean and for it's not wrong I don't think uh, when, it, when it comes to that and so we see Bill and Ted again they desperately desperately want to achieve they, they have the things that they want to do they have parents that are sort of uh, you know majorly bogus in, in ways and in preventing them from being able to do what they want to do and so they're able to sublimate those desires into wild stallions and uh, and they're be able to you know be able to produce something that is fine art that is actually world changing that I, I thought about the Beatles a lot actually when I watched this because go because they, I mean, that's exactly what the Beatles were trying to do, right? They were trying to write this music, create this art in a way to change the world, to help get a message out there that you know, which is just like "Be excellent to one another." All you need is love. Okay, know? all right. You know, and so we must always hearken our ears to the words of John and Paul, not the apostles, the Beatles, and uh, say that you know, love is really all you need. And if we live in that sort of way, it is a better kind of way of living, and we can forward and further civilization. And so this is sort of a strange application of Freudian analysis. So I just want to, again, attune the dear listener's ear to uh, one Sigmund Freud, Siggy, as we like to call him. Freud dude. Freud dude. And uh, check out Civilization's Discontents. Uh, go ahead and take a look at uh, his interpretation of dreams. If you want an introduction to psychoanalysis, he actually wrote one called A General Introduction to Psychoanalysis. All of these things are currently on my shelf. And uh, they're, they're really helpful books. And I think just ideas that we can apply further. Again, cinema has this sort of gaze that's very, very male. I think Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is no exception. Yeah. Uh, George Carlin just gives them two women at the end of the movie. Yes. And uh, Laura, hey, I kidnapped these uh, these two girls from medieval England for you because you had a crush on them. What I know, it's crazy. They never talk to those girls. <laughs> it is a fantasy. They never talk to them when they're back in in medieval England. They're only in medieval England for a little bit, uh, just long enough for Keanu Reeves to maybe be dead. And they're like, "Oh, goodbye, princesses." And then George Carlin kidnaps them for them. What the <laughs> hell? It is a little crazy. Jesus age, Carlin. So there, there, there is this this fantasy thing that's definitely at work there. And uh, you know, again, in Freudian studies, uh, this idea of, of the look in cinema as being male. Laura Mulvey's great essay, uh, the visual player. To, 
visual pleasures and narrative cinema uh, also sort of expands Freud's work. And so I would also just draw the dear listener's attention to that article as well. It's available um, all over the interwebs uh, for you to take a look at. But again, I, we, we talk about Freud a lot on the show. We talk about Marx a lot. We talk about you know all sorts of you know uh, structuralist and uh, formalist analysis and, and and what have you and whatnot. And I thought, you know what? Let's just let's put the cookies back on the bottom shelf. Let's break it down Crayola style just a little bit again because we want to be academic here, but we also want to be accessible. Yeah. So here is your primer uh, on a little Freud, and I think a great introduction to Freud is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So take a look at that. Well, thank you very much, dear co-hosts, for that most triumphant set of analyses. Let's move on to our verdict, where we determine whether this belongs on the shelf or in the trash, and we recommend our else's or instead's. I begin with you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What say you? You know, I enjoyed this quite a bit more than I expected. I had never seen it before, so I'm the, the newcomer to the crowd. Uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of echo Dalton's points. I mean, it is, at the end of the day, it's not the greatest comedy but i thought it was fun if i'm you know if i was ever bored and just maybe just didn't want to really put too much effort into watching a film i'd watch this because i did chuckle a few times i laughed a few times so i i had fun more than more than not um you know if i found it at a good price maybe as a combo with the other film i'd think about picking it up i wouldn't have an issue with that uh but that's currently streaming so i wouldn't go out of your way to do that else i would check out richard donner's timeline uh based on the michael Crichton novel uh which is more time traveling goodness? Of course, Back to the Future works. I think here. Wait, you 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 mean Superman Richard Donner? Yeah, he made that movie. Yeah. What? Yeah. Ah, I never saw that, <laughs> but it's got uh, it's got isn't Heath Ledger in that? Uh, Gerard Paul Walker and there Gerard Butler. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Also, uh, check out the recent uh, Mr. Peabody and Sherman, which kind of pairs well here, parallels a lot with what they're doing in this movie. Uh, finally, you wrap up with Dude, Where's My Car and Wayne's World, and you make a, a, a fun weekend of it. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I would give it 58 So Crates is a Wingman out of 69. That's really funny. I like that very much. I like those picks very much. Thank you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Yeah. <laughs> I give it two and a half George Carlin's with goatees out of a possible six. You don't need to own this movie. I'm sorry. I can't I can't in good conscience tell you to own Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, especially if it's on Netflix. Do That's not fair. Do, do not buy. Hard pass. Go watch something else. Go watch uh, Wayne's World because that is a far better movie. Uh dealing with the swing, same oh, swing. Uh dealing with a lot of the same kind of humor. Um and just um, some of the most surreal jokes that have ever made their way into a mainstream comedy hit. Uh, like, nothing. I've just always wanted to open the door onto a bunch of guys training. Like, so funny. Uh, watch Back to the Future. Absolutely. An infinitely better movie. Watch Looper, which is a really fun uh, recent time travel movie. Or Terminator 2, colon, Judgment Day, which is probably the best time travel movie. Uh, just, if you're bored and you have nothing to do, I, I guess... I cannot in good conscience tell you to put this on your shelf, though. I don't think you need to throw it away, but um, I can't even recommend you stream it quickly. Just, you know, if you've seen literally everything else on Netflix and you've always wanted to watch Bill and Ted's, that's a good time to watch it. 
Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dolmsford. And I say something similar to you, honestly. Uh, I, I think it's essential to be watched. I think it's sort of a pop cultural touchstone. You know, strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Uh, and, that is a lot of fun and, to and, say. And lots of lines uh, that are going on throughout that, just to be excellent to one another. I mean, that's just, you know, it's good stuff. Uh, so I do think it needs to be seen, but I absolutely do not think it needs to be owned uh, in any way. And so in order to sort of up the game a little bit in terms of art and cinema, in time travel terms, I would say watch Primer. Um, Shane Carruth's Primer, which is crazy town uh, with uh, regard to, and talk about needing diagrams to understand. And then if you want to watch the exploits of a band as they uh, have sort of episodic adventures uh, as they make some travels, I think you got to take a look at the Beatles' Hard Day's Night and uh, take a look at that and uh, a little Richard Lester in your life because that's necessary. And uh, I think, again, it's overall a better movie and you'll probably laugh quite a bit more and your life will be better and it's currently streaming on Hulu Plus because Criterion just made a release of it so that makes me extraordinarily happy but dear listener we'd love to know what your recommends are whether you would shelf for trash Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is it a vital part of your childhood and of your cultural touchstones or is it something that is sort of disposable and what would your else's or instead's be you could let us know via those magical means that we all know as social media Mr. Arthur Gordon you know anything about that stuff? Certainly. You could find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. Uh, you could share posts, like, comment, uh, engage in discussion with us about our different games and just questions that we ask periodically. Uh, we enjoy that feedback and that dialogue. We do this for you. And so when you interact with us, it means something special for us. Uh, you could also find us on Gmail, uh, good trash genre cast at gmail.com or on Google Plus. Just search good trash genre cast. Uh, plus, one us over there, follow us, add us to your circles, whatever it is you do over there, and engage with us there if that's your preferred medium of social medias. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything else about social media means by which conversations might be held? It is indeed a pleasure to introduce to you a gentleman we picked up in medieval Oklahoma in the year 1980. Please welcome the very excellent barbarian, Mr. Dustin Sells. This is a dude who 700 years ago totally ravaged China, and who we were told two hours ago totally ravaged our Twitter account. It's an accurate statement. Ladies and gentlemen, the Good Trash Genre Cast can be found on Twitter at good underscore trash. Any feedback coming in from that Twitter, Mr. Dalton Stewart? Well, after the just the most excellent uh, back and forth we had with the Wolf Cop Twitter account, uh, not really short of a just a, a deluge of retweets. Uh, also, I'm not only did Wolf Cop tweet the link to our episode over their show, uh, over their film, they didn't, in case you missed it, tweet. They tweeted it twice and put it on their Facebook. Thank you so much, Wolf Cop. Uh, Wolf Cop, brought to you by Liquor Donuts. Liquor Donuts, what more could you ask for? We really just like to pretend Wolf Cop's a or real person running better. a Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Definitely. We don't know who's running that page, but we're just going to continue to think Wolf Cop. The real Wolf Cop. Uh, I mean, presumably it's Lucaroo, yeah. Uh, but again, we just... There really hasn't been much happening on Twitter. We, we did have a really quick turnaround uh, this week. We're just recording a, a few scant days after um, we recorded our Wolf Cop episode, honestly. Um, so that's, I mean, been blowing up. Our uh, our Twitter page lately is is that interaction with uh, Wolf Cop, uh, them sharing the link to the episode over Wolf Cop that we recorded. It's been really exciting uh, and it's really fun. And w- just one more reminder: you can, if you liked Wolf Cop, if you want to see more Wolf Cop, you can go to Indiegogo and, and fund uh, the Wolf Cop Two Indiegogo page. Uh, there's a lot of cool rewards on there. Um, if you give them like five thousand dollars, they'll let you uh, get killed by Wolf Cop. 
Excellent. Awesome. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Um, but there's also fun stuff, just like uh, they'll give you all the Blu-ray features from the movie for like 10 bucks, stuff like that. So go check out their Indiegogo page. Excellent. Thank you very much. I have purchased my Blu-ray copy of uh, Wolf Cop already, so um, I'm trying to do what I can to contribute to the cause. But enough of this silly banter. I think, guys, it just might be time to play the game. That's right, dear listener. We love doing this. This week's game is our favorite times to travel to and our cinematic sidekicks we'd like to bring along. Uh, That's right. Favorite times we'd like to travel to and cinematic sidekicks we'd like to bring along. Brought to you by Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Party on, dudes. <laughs> yes, indeed. And we are going to keep on party. This is your party. We were just invited, but we are going to keep bringing you some great gameplay right now. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what are your picks? Uh, I think first, I I don't know. It's always a joy to see on screen, and I know it would be really crazy and dangerous, but I want to go to the Wild West. There's something about it. There's a, there's a unique charm to it, I think. Uh, I would love to go to the Wild West and... Uh, with me, I would want someone that could kind of keep me safe, uh, keep me, you know, from getting shot or something. And so I would take uh, a very healthy uh, Doc Holiday, as played by Val Kilmer, uh, with me there to traverse the wild, wild west. Baller, good pick. actually like to travel to like the turn of the century london kind of you know maybe jack the ripper is shakespeare or shakespeare uh, those are two different times entirely <laughs> sherlock sherlock holmes that kind of late 1800s early 1900s was right? that victorian or is that Victor- late victorian victorian it'd be victorian absolutely yeah okay and so that kind of era um and with me i would take uh john watson as played by martin freeman to once again help me traverse uh, the dangerous area uh maybe solve some mysteries or get killed by Jack the Ripper. I'm not a prostitute, though, so I don't know that I would be much fear of that. But, you know, who knows what would happen in Victoria, London at night. You're probably not on in the, the dark. List, so, Okay, very, very good. I like those picks very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Donald Stewart, what are your picks? Well, I also want to go to the Wild West, Wiki Wild Wild. Uh, but I want to go with the man with no name, uh, immortalized by Clint Eastwood. Um, I feel like as long as I keep my mouth shut, we'll be okay. That's uh, fair. That's That seems like... Seems to be rule number one. <laughs> that's, and which would be really tough for you. Yeah, I know. I realize that. But uh, being glared at by Clint Eastwood, I feel like, would encourage me to shut the shit up. So I love how easily Bill, uh, Billy the Kid just kind of goes along with what's happening. Yeah, he's, 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 like, oh, man. he's like, all right, whatever. No big deal. You guys saved my life. All right. Uh, I also want to go to medieval England, but I want to go with Ken Watanabe uh, playing, <laughs> playing any one of the samurais he's played. I want Ken Watanabe from Inception. <laughs> I, just uh, any Ken Watanabe. Or Ken Watanabe from uh, the... 
from Batman Begins. Yeah, just any Ken Watanabe. He's played a lot of samurais, um, and, and and just a lot of tough guys. Typecasting. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's Japanese, <laughs> and kind of one one. Unless you're Tom Cruise, you have to be Japanese to play samurai. And Tom Cruise does whatever he wants, which brings me to my final pick. I want to go to po- which brings me to my final pick. I want to go to post-war Los Angeles, circa 1949, and I want to go with Tom Cruise from Collateral. I don't know what we're gonna do, but I feel like that would be cool. Maybe we'll solve mysteries. Uh, maybe we'll join uh, the LAPD um, and get on the Vice Squad. I don't know, uh, but I want Tom Cruise's hitman from Collateral. We're just gonna hang out and get in, get into trouble. We're gonna go on adventures. Excellent. I like that very also, much. Can can you name a more cinematic like place than like nine, late forties, early fifties L.A.? That's fair. Oh my god! Well, that's actually one of my first picks. Good because film noir, and I love that sort of stuff. But I want to bring um, Samuel L. Jackson's Jewels with me. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh my god! I'm an idiot. Why didn't I think of that? Oh, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> and, and just go into a bar and let him say, "Say what again?" And it would be absolutely. Outstanding. Bloodbath. Best, best time ever. So I want to do that. I also want to travel to not Victorian, but Elizabethan, uh, Shakespearean England, mm-hmm. with one um, Ash from the Evil Dead series. <laughs> Sick. Because, I mean, how much fun would that be? And uh, just good times would be had by all. So those are my picks for times I'd like to travel to, my favorite times to travel to, uh, with my cinematic sidekicks. Dear listener, We'd like to hear where you'd like to go and with whom, or rather, when you'd like to go and with whom. And so uh, let us know that via those magical means that we all know as social media. But we need to move on and conclude the show, as we always do, with what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. That's right, dear listener. We didn't start the fire, but the fire has been burning, and we want to hear all about what fire is burning in your heart, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Go ahead. I'm fired up about Oprah's Turtle Farm. I'm sorry. Every time I hear that song now, I just I think about Parks and Rec. Um, you should watch that. The last season will be up on Netflix pretty soon. Um, I haven't really done much lately uh, in terms of pop culture, to be honest with you. Again, we had a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, you know, it's only been about five days since, since we last met around the table. Um, I will say I finally... Finally uh, beat Dragon Age Inquisition. Finally finished the main story. After how many hours of your life? 120 hours. But anyway, yeah. So I finally finished that. Um, and God, it's a good game. It's a good game. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited about, by the time you hear this, uh, I will probably be waist deep in um, Batman Arkham Knight. Um, that's, yes. that's about to happen. Uh, I've, I'm picking it up Tuesday. I'm really excited. Yep. Um, and I guess I'll give you one final plug. By the time you're listening to this, um, the first episode of the Mistress podcast, um, tentatively titled The Cast Beyond Carcosa, will be up. Uh, that's the uh, podcast I'm going to be co-hosting with Caleb Masters for the, the website You've Got This Covered, where we're going to be talking about True Detective Season 2 on a weekly basis, doing kind of a post-mortem on each episode after it's aired. Uh, because tomorrow night, uh, we're recording today on Saturday, uh, June the 20th. Uh, tomorrow will be the premiere of True Detective Season 2, and then uh, Monday we'll record, Tuesday it'll drop. So by the time you're hearing this episode, this discussion over Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, me and Caleb uh, will have posted the first episode. So go listen to that. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up this week? Uh, Just to echo Dalton, I am fired up. I will be playing Arkham Knight as well. Uh, By the time this drops, hopefully I've pre-ordered. I'll be picking up either 
Probably Tuesday. I'm not going to go to the midnight stuff. That's nonsense. Uh, no, that's for lo- That's nonsense. I got to get up early. In the yeah, morning. yeah. I don't even. Yeah, but I will be playing that this week. Um, I also, I made it out. Uh, I did finish Orange is the New Black. Oh yeah. I did finish the season. Uh, the finale was a little lacking. It seems really mm-hmm. like they're. There's a lot building up to the next season, I think. So I f- expect a lot of major things to happen in season four. They did that with with House of Cards this year too, and it's it's just seems like Netflix on their their two big flagship shows have kind of dropped, dropped the, ball the ball on yeah. their third seasons. Uh, again, I haven't finished season three of Orange Is the New Black. I've barely started it. But I I really enjoyed the latter half, but it just felt like they just kind of dropped off, and they're gonna pick right back up in season four. But I don't want to wait a year for that nonsense. Give me, give me closure at least in some yeah, area. Yeah, that is the one problem with the Netflix model is you can watch the entire season in about a week. Yeah, uh, as opposed to three months. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I did make it out to the cinemas. I caught uh, Dope. Oh man, you saw Dope? I saw Dope. How was it? It was pretty fun. Um, I thought it was really solid, really funny, uh, very enjoyable. The only thing it seemed to, man, it it kind of, I guess from a creative standpoint was kind of messy there are a lot of different plots happening like different genre type plots mm-hmm. uh, different things it was trying to do there and then it would kind of get kind of creative and artistic at times like editing and and stuff like that yeah. but it was a very sparse so it wasn't sure what it was trying to do there overall though i thought it was really solid i'd recommend i really enjoyed it uh, then i saw pixar's new film inside out uh, which i really it was moving it was very funny very beautiful animation is really solid i know alex uh, really enjoyed it. So it's probably one of her favorite movies now. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting a chance of checking that out. It's a solid, solid uh, uh, turnaround for Pixar, yeah, it's, who it's, had kind of dropped the ball for a while. I was say, it's, it's being called a return to form for them, which yeah. is exciting. And so I don't know if that just speaks to the lesser works previously or if this is really just that solid, but it's it's good. I'd put it up there with probably the top five Pixar. Oh, wow. It's it's really solid, uh, depending on how you want to rank those. But yeah, that's that's what's got me fired up this week in pop culture. What are you excited about this week in popular culture, Dustin? What are you excited about? Oh, well, I'm, I'm excited, but my pop culture references are a little bit aged. Um, I'll, I'll go into <laughs> Much like him. <laughs> yep. Nailed it. Yeah, Boom. thanks very much. Um, I got to check out uh, 1946's uh, Forbidden Games. It's a French film. And it's a, it is one I, I I haven't cried so much in a movie in a long time. It is one of the most moving films I've seen in the longest time. It's about this little girl. It's during the uh, the air raids on France. Um, her parents die. Her dog dies. What? She gets adopted by a little family, and she gets sort of obsessed with burying things like oh. like like little mice and dogs and cockroaches and and this this little I boy. Don't, I don't care of, for this. It, it really it's. I cannot tell you how I'm very disturbed. It's it's really blackly funny, and you know this her sort of childlike innocence is just fantastic, and it's also just devastatingly sad. And uh, I just really, really enjoyed it a lot. So if you get a chance, it's hard to find, really hard to find. How did you find it? Uh, through means. Okay. Um, and uh, and I'm, I'm I'm glad I did. I mean, I really liked it a lot. Was this for a class? This is for a class. I mean, it's like pre-prep for a class, so I don't have to watch it later. Gotcha. And I liked it so much. Also, last night, I went to uh, the Paramount in uh, downtown Oklahoma City and caught Steamboat Bill Jr., which is a Buster Keaton film from 1928. Oh, wow. With an original score composed uh, by uh, a young man who played it live. Whilst oh, we watched the cool. film being shown off the wall out of the parking lot. That's fun. And it was great times and great fun. And I just want to say, 
Paramount, Oklahoma City. I know most of our, or not most of our listeners, but many of our listeners, uh, most of our American listeners come from Oklahoma. And uh, I would say if you're in Oklahoma City, you got to got to get to the Paramount and check out some of the great events they've got going on there. It's just totally worth your time. And so thank you so much for that fired up. And this dear co-host, dear listener, we will, again want to hear about what you're fired up about. Um, we want to tweet and retweet and Facebook and share and do whatever else those social media means allow uh, to happen uh, for all of that. But uh, we want to remind you that next week's show will be on Roland Imrich's Independence Day. I'm sorry, did you say Roland Imrich? I did. Is it Imrich? I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Imrich. Imrich, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it's Eichmann. Roland Eichmann. Isn't it just E-M? I- yeah, it's just E-M. There's no I- Imrich. I- I'm making just- Nazi jokes here. Police and the fire departments are asking it is morning. You wake up. You greet your loved ones. You grab the morning paper. And although it seems like any ordinary day, it isn't. For one extraordinary reason. historic and unprecedented event has occurred. The question of whether or not we are alone in the universe has been answered. This is so cool. More ships have just arrived over India, England, and Germany. I really don't think they flew 90 billion light years to come down here and start a fight. We've got to stop them! They're going to kill us all! They're using our own satellites against us. The clock is ticking. with a full nuclear strike over American soil. If we don't strike soon, there may not be much of an America left to defend. We're being exterminated. Let's kick the tires and light the fires. We're looking at worldwide destruction in the next 36 hours. Oh, you can't hit nothing! It's going to be great. Uh, Will Smith is going to do what Will Smith does. He's going to Bill Paxton. I mean, Bill Pullman. (laughs) Right. Jeff Goldblum. Uh, Goldblum! It's going to be great. Take a look at that. Take a look at Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Take a look at Sigmund Freud and also uh, the 80s and also just what's going on in terms of friendship in that film. And uh, talk about that and have some conversation And because that's what makes watching films really, really worthwhile. And we will see you all next time. I'm hot for teacher. (laughs) 